Welcome to Teachings in the Air. Air, air. Welcome to Teachings in the Air podcast with Jerry Oldman. Coming to you from Hunkaminam Territory with a podcast series about Indigenous men's health and wellness. We aim to inspire, motivate, and empower Indigenous men to be sound in mind, body, and spirit because that's what health means. Hello, this is Sahilthit. This is Teachings in the Air with Sahilthit. You know, the whole spectrum of being healthy, having a strong mind, strong body, strong spirit. And, you know, why, why work on that? And of course, you know, like my guest Lee Brown said, the, telling us about the importance of a strong heart. Well, I know now at the end of this season for teachings in the air that my heart today would not be good if I didn't work in my mind my body, and my spirit. You know, as I reflect on my life, because my, po- my podcasts, podcasts when I go on by myself are basically about my journey, my journey in life. And I was thinking and reflecting on my journey. As a child, I knew that I was in a place of light, that I was living in a, with a family that were inclusive, that were fair, you know, and I was growing in a, up in a house with five brothers and one sister. And when I reflect on that, there was harmony in that house. And I had no fear, I had no confusion, I lived from day to day. 
looked for looked forward to the day. And I think of that life; it was so good. You know, being part of chores of staying alive, because that's what chores are about living in a space. Cutting, kingling, packing wood, feeding the chickens and uh, cattle and horses, you know, packing water, haying, all of that. Life with my mother and father. When I look back, I was saying, oh, they were developing me. They were being parents. They were taking that responsibility seriously about raising me to be a good worker, to be a good human being, to be a participant, to go out and help. Because that's what my, my parents' life was about. They're both traditional people. They were statlium. So I was in a time of light. Oh, it was so good picking berries, you know, fishing, hunting, you know, doing those activities, cutting wood, packing wood, weeding the garden. Oh, and I look back on those experiences. I think of how lucky I was to have that, to live in the light, because that's the way I look at it. Then all of a sudden, on Sahilth's journey, there's darkness, you know, in my, in my life. And what causes darkness for a human being for Sahilthit? Well, first off, it's fear and shock, you know, because I was in the school system in grade one. And you've heard me in previous podcasts if you heard it how I was um, punished by blows around my head and face for making mistakes. You know, my mom and dad didn't hit me with their hands. My dad used what they call the chakram stick twice in my life. And both of those times did not traumatize me. They taught me that old teaching of teach, don't scold. My dad taught me when he used the chalkum stick on me, the Saskatoon switch, because I was being violent with my brother, and he, he had me get a Saskatoon switch, and he says, go get me a chalkum stick. So I did, and he was whooping me around the legs, not even with a lot of force. You know, being a young child, of course, I started crying and saying, no, 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 you know. No. Then he was speaking, and I heard him, don't, he said. And his voice was different, like he was choking, and I looked at him. And as he's switching me, I could see tears in his eyes, and he was saying, don't you ever try to harm me your brother, again. Because I took a swing at my brother with a two-by-four board, and he ducked, and I missed. So that was a teaching. 
You know, I seen how my dad felt doing that teaching, how much it, how much emotion that stirred in him. It changed me. I I became connected to him, bonded to him through that teaching of not doing harm to other people, other human beings. No, I think of that. It was, it was good. It was the light. I was living in the light when I was with my parents and my brothers and my sister. Sure, we squabbled. The siblings will squabble. We complained. We, you know, but we were all participants in that household. So when all of a sudden I get this. I'm sitting there and all of a sudden, boom, you know, like there's a below across my head. Then on the other side, I don't know how many times I was slapped and told to correct those mistakes because the paper was put in front of me and it was covered with red X's and my arithmetic answers. Obviously, the teacher didn't teach me scolded me. You know, and uh, that darkness, all of a sudden, you know, the word identity is referring to sameness. And we want to be the same, we want to be included, and we go in a group, even if we're different. In my home, in the light, we were different, but we were included. We were the same. We're a family. So it was a real trauma to me to be a stupid Indian. I heard those words, you know, and as a child we absorb words like a sponge and sometimes we reflect them out into life after. We become that echo of those words. And I, you know, that's that darkness. I was afraid. I was afraid of being struck. I was afraid of making mistakes. I was afraid of being laughed at, being ridiculed for being stupid. So that was the beginning of my darkness in my life. And all of a sudden, that identity, you know, that who am I? Yeah, I started to have confusion. Because when I was in the light with my family, they didn't have to say it. We're statlium. We didn't talk about it. We didn't refer to it, but we were statlium. Because my parents treated me with respect and they taught me to treat my brothers and my sister with respect. That's part of the values of that statlium way of living. And uh, so all of a sudden, I'm not... Uh, I'm not the same. That's what I feel. 
I'm sure other students made mistakes and were punished the same way as I was. But I was isolated because my head was down. I was, I was um, taking on a new identity. And I started to live that identity. As time went on, you know, I heard the message that we're all so drunken and we're lazy and we're crazy as a people. Because I, I, you know, I heard those words. I, I you know, we, we all heard them. Some of them were said with uh, not-so-pleasant words, too, and they're talking about those stupid Indians. You know, so I, that's, that is darkness to me. You know, and I went to a residential school, it got darker. Because I'm not having my mom's cooking anymore, a wonderful cook, beautiful cook, a chef put everything she had into her cooking, make sure it was good, it wasn't burnt, it wasn't undercooked. She was a good cook. And all of a sudden, I go from that light to darkness in that school, and that residential school was terrible. Couldn't eat some of that food. You know, having porridge every morning, it was lumpy, it was, uh, you know... That's the first time I knew hunger. I mean hunger, I mean my tummy, hunger pains. I remember then my brother, my older brother came back and we still hadn't gone to residential school, me and my younger brother. And my brother, he came back in end of June. And we all slept under the roof in my dad's first house, our first house that my dad built with his own two hands. And my brother was taking off his shirt. And we, I could see all his ribs. He was thin. So thin it is noticeable. And my brother and I were laughing, pointed at him. You know, we thought it was funny. When I went to residential school, I lost weight like that, too. You know, so the food was terrible. And it felt like a cold, cold atmosphere. You know, so, again, our, my, because what's going on is I'm taking on a new identity. You know, I'm, I'm being different than when I was in the light. I'm defensive. I lie. I isolate. I, I'm afraid. I'm angry. I'm depressed. You know, we'd feel some joy when we play sports, like if you score in soccer or basketball. Or, but, you know, when we're in the light... We even laugh when we're eating, we're having food. You know, 
residential school. <laughs> we didn't look forward to our meals. But we were hungry. You know, young teenagers growing up, they eat lots of food. We weren't doing that. <laughs> I know, that resentment. You know, you resent when it's not fair. That's what a human being does. I resented. Because we're eating there like on a Sunday, we're having our, <laughs> I'll call it slop. And we would see the food going to the staff's dining room. Roast beef, mashed potatoes, you know, good Sunday meal. In the morning, we'd see them getting bacon and eggs, and we could smell it. And there we are with our porridge. So part of my identity was being a resentment, being resentful. It was a dark time. It's all I can say. So what kind of identity Jerry get there? Besides, you know, you know, <laughs> being afraid, being angry, being depressed. Part of it was become rebellious. So, you know, it started to... A lot of it's internal. You know, like if you rebel out <laughs> blatantly, you're going to get the strap. Or you're going to be punished. Or you're going to... You know, three, three of my friends, you know, at the beginning of the school year, I remember. We're new friends. We didn't see each other before, different communities. So we're excited by getting to know each other, and we're okay with each other. We bonded. We're like brothers. So the lights went out. And the lights go out in the dormitory. There's got to be silence. That's the law. In way, three of my friends, two of my friends and myself, we were whispering and chuckling. And we didn't know the supervisor was listening. He turns on the light gets us out of bed. He says, come with me. We go with him and uh, goes to the cleaning closet and gets three buckets, three toothbrushes, some rags. And he says, okay, you're going to scrub the floor downstairs. We called it the rec room. <laughs> Not too much recreation stuff in there, I tell you. And we, he says, okay, you, you, you guys are going to scrub this floor with a toothbrush and you're not going to sleep till it's done. And you got to keep quiet while you're doing it. So there we are on hands and knees with our toothbrushes scrubbing the floor. Any human being is humiliated like that 
becomes a rebel. I became a rebel. Started saying things like the vanishing race. You know, I remember that. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I can see, I can hear. That reference or that inference that we're going to be alcoholics. Some of the staff would say that. I started drinking when I was 13 years old, alcohol. We'd steal it. I internalized those messages. And I thought I was being rebellious by saying, you want to see drunk? I'll show you drunk with me and my friends. That was dark times, you know, that was impacting my mind, my body, and my spirit, and my heart. So messages that come out through the air can be very powerful. And the messages we are hearing as children and tweens and teens weren't about a vibrant, beautiful culture. It was like there's something wrong with us. Now I see it unfolding in my in front of me. I can remember the excitement of wanting to go home, and Christmas comes along and we could go home. And I get depressed. Because I'd see some of my members, not all of them, some of them, being intoxicated on the street. My relatives, my people. They seem to have no shame. And I uh, said to myself, I'll never be like that. I'll never be a fall-down drunk. So I started to feel shame for my people, shame to be indigenous. Didn't feel indigenous. Then, you know, that's a bad place to be and you don't feel indigenous and you look indigenous can't be white. Because I didn't know white people at that, that, that time. My fantasy was that they're all rich and they all got good houses and, you know, that they're on easy street. That's my fantasy. When I was a kid, in that darkness. So I became a lost soul. You know that we, I, you know, as during the years I realized I became addicted to some of those emotions of feeling sorry for myself or that sadness that would burn. And I started looking for it because I guess it's sort of a release. You know, I'd listen to certain music and I'd feel this sadness, you know, and in some ways it's coming out. And I, of course, I was drinking and smoking cigarettes. But 
We, we, we became part of a herd mentality as children and teenagers in that system. Herd mentality, you all go that way, even though it doesn't feel right as an individual, but you still go because that's where everybody goes, that's where they expect us to go. That's where they want us to go. And who's the they? And I think about it, it's got, there was individuals in that school. I, I had a hard time to imagine that they have a meeting and say, okay, let's talk to them this way, let's do this, let's hit them, let's punish them, let's do this. I, 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 can't, I can't fathom that. So it had to be individuals. They were cruel, evil people. So they had a herd mentality too about how to be with us. Yes, I was, you know, indeed on the dark side when, you know, after all those years in residential school and dealing with the addictions and isolating myself, even though I'm in a crowd of people, you know, a lot of doubts about myself. Who am I anyway? Or I'm not indigenous enough, or I'm a loser. Anyway, you get it. I was, <laughs> I was pretty dark. I wasn't violent. It's more like implosions happening inside of Jerry, inside of Sahilthit. But then all of a sudden, I don't know. Maybe you know, they they talk about uh, for alcoholics or addicts. You know, you hit the bottom. You got nowhere else to go, so you start coming up. So one day I hit the bottom, you know, and I I just didn't feel like living anymore. And that's my bottom. Anyway, I come up from, I started to come up. And uh, I started then to, well, I started off by saying, okay, I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to quit doing drugs because I could see it wasn't helping me. There was, because what was happening to me was I was reliving memories of what happened to me, of words that were used, of actions that were used that seemed to, with the intent of belittling me. That was my thought, you know, as I was probably sitting there one day and said, I'm gonna change. And, you know, and I, today, and I think of that, you know, I know that I was receiving teachings right from childhood. From my granny, from my uncles and aunties, my relatives. But that echo or those memories, what I was trapped in, it's like I was in jail, anger jail, fear jail, depression jail. So when I hit that bottom and I started coming up, knowing that I want freedom, that I want to put this down, I don't want to live like this anymore. So I was making that choice. 
I, I remember my father telling me not to say, I don't want to hear you say, I cannot do that. He says, you figure it out. Use that mind of yours. You figure it out and then you do it. <laughs> Reminds me of that teaching. There's no try, just do, which Master Yoda was telling Luke Skywalker. In a way, that's what my dad was telling me. Do it. You know, you can do it. You know, so I started, I guess you could say, to wake up, to come to, to want to go towards light again. You know, so I sobered up, I became alcohol and drug free, and I was on this path now. You know, this healing road, the red road, I hear some people call it. They say the red road is a beautiful road. Some people would say the sweet grass road or the sweat lodge road. So I started to go on to this free, I'll call it the freedom road, to be free of residential school, to be free of those negative things that were put into me. And I remember part of my, who Sahilth it is today, is I'm an avid reader. I love reading novels, history books, personal growth and development, you know. I love reading. And it comes from this teacher in high school. How he got me all of a sudden to look at words, to look at expression. He was teaching us how to write poetry. And he says to, you know, to put words together to make an expression of beauty or to make it like you're there. And he gave us his own personal example. He said, last summer, I was by this lake, and I went into the lake, and the sun was come, was up, and I seen the reflection of the sun on the lake, and it looked so beautiful. He said, I sat there for practically for the afternoon thinking, how can I express this beauty? What words can I use to express this beauty? <laughs> and I was... I was a student, and I connected with him because he was being personal with all of us. And he says, I was sitting there, and it finally come to me how to express the beauty of the sun reflection on the lake. And he said he used these words. It was like, what is that expression again? Like sun-beaten gold, you know, <laughs> or something like that. Anyway, he had me, and I started to read. I started to look for books to read. So he's part of my... Uh, I thank him today for that gift. And then, you know, and I... You know, I became an addictions counselor... 
And when you enter that world of being a service provider, you know, in the 70s and 80s and 90s, workshops were the big thing. We were going to these conferences, to these workshops, learning about suicide prevention, about, you know, art therapy, all kinds of subjects, you know, about helping people. And there was this one, I'll call him the master facilitator, and he was teaching us about affirmations and positive thinking, about how sometimes to change that negative thinking. We must come up with an affirmation and use it every day until the change happens. That one example he gave, he is watching the bullfighter, Brahma bull in the rodeo. Those Brahma bulls are, you know, they got that hump in their back and these horns, if they leave the horns on, and they're fearsome animals. And you watch them when they come out of the chute, they're throwing their hoops around, twisting their body, you know. And, uh, it's a dangerous sport. Anyway, the master facilitator was saying he was watching this young indigenous cowboy in front of the corral where all the bulls were for the rodeo. And he was standing there quietly, dressed warmly. And he was standing there until the competition started. Then when they called his name, and they got his bull, put him in the chute, and he climbed up, and then he mounted the bull. And you watch those cowboys, and they nod their head, and then they swing the gate open, and out jumps a bull. And the young cowboy rides him till the whistle, or the horn, then jumps off the bull. He was a master bull rider. Master facilitator says, I went up to him after and asked him, what were you doing over at the corral for the bulls? And the young cowboy said, oh, I was looking at the bull Eisner ride, and I was saying over and over again, quietly in my mind, I beat you 100 times already. You know, he had wonderful stories of how to change. And I started to do that. I started to use affirmations, like one of them was, I'm a lovable, capable human being. Because I, had, I basically had no belief in myself, didn't have value in myself because of what happened. You know, and uh, I'm so blessed with the teachers I've had on the, when I came on to the Freedom Road, the Healing Road. One of them, of course, is um, where I got the name for this podcast, Teachings in the Air, Elder Sam. And he told me everything I know 
comes through the air. Everything. That's where we got the ceremony. That's where we got the songs. People going out meditating. He says, you go up into the mountains, you go by the lake, you go by the river, you go out to the meadow, you find a place. And He didn't use the word meditate, but I will, you go out there and meditate if you're looking for a song or a ceremony. So, and because I was feeling that we're losing it as indigenous people where I'm from. Stetlium. We're losing the music, we're losing ceremony, we're losing our language. In those words, it's in the air. <laughs> Changed me. As part of my change. Remember, I want to let you know this is a process. And it might sound easy, but it wasn't easy. It took a while. It took years, in fact. Another... Um, change agent early on. I even know the date, not the actual date, but the year 1995. And I was reading a newspaper and um, I seen this ad for a Zen master coming to go do a presentation in Richmond. And it was free. And I told you about my reading. One of the passions I had was reading about Buddhism, about Zen Buddhism, Buddhism. You know, I was I loved their stories. I loved their teachings. And I had read some of those books. And uh, one of them said that the master is a... Uh, one of those individuals that can transform you, transform me with words. <laughs> so I still, I wanted transformation. You know, because I was filled with doubts and insecurities, and even though I'd been on the healing road for a while, I still carried them. So I signed up, I went to this and the Taiwanese master couldn't speak English, so I had to use those translator headphones, you know, and they had translators translating what he was saying. Anyway, his words transformed me about putting down negativity, putting down the events or the actions that happened. He was telling us about the young man that wanted to find peace and serenity. And he asked the master to teach him. And the master said, yes, but you need to live like me, live in my temple, shave your head, Wear the robes, even though you're not becoming a monk. But I'm going to teach you. So the young man agreed. and The master says, okay, now we walk to my temple. So there's days away, and they're walking, and it's raining. 
And they come to this village and it's a, there's a wide shallow river. And there's buildings on both sides of the river. And there's a ferry, but it's across the river and the ferryman isn't there. And standing on the banks of the river was this beautiful woman dressed in silks. And, uh, with an umbrella. So the master goes up to her and says, yeah, you want to go across the river? And she's startled and she looks at him and she looked in the master's eyes and she could see that he's compassionate and kind. So she said, yes. And the master said, I shall carry you. Oh, okay, she says. And he hikes up his robes and ties them up so they won't get wet. And the young man's watching and he said, the master said we are not to have anything to do with women, alcohol, drugs, tobacco. You know, and there he is with this beautiful woman. And the way the master picks her up, carries her across the river. And that beautiful woman is hanging on to him around his neck and they're laughing and talking. And the master puts her down across the river and comes back. He says, let's go. So they walk on and on another day or two, and then they reach a temple. And the young man is there. <laughs> Six months later, he says to the master, he's, he's disturbed. He's not being transformed. He's not... You know, he's still thinking the same, still have the same old thoughts. And he goes up to the master and says, Master, he says, I'm not learning, I'm not changing. I'm not happy. And the master looks at him and says, What's on your mind? And the young man thinks about it. And he says, Master, you told me we're not to have anything to do with women. And you picked up that beautiful woman and held her in your arms. And the master put up his hand. And he said, do you mean I put her down six months ago and you're still carrying her? And us in the audience laughed. <laughs> and the master put up his hand. And he says, six months is not bad. Some people carry their issues and problems for a year, two years, all their life. <laughs> I had been carrying that residential school since 1968. And those terrible people. So he's, he's got... Um, Another one that is tremendous contribution to me being on the healing road. Put it down. Elders would say that to me later on in life. Yuck with it. Free yourself. Quiet. Put it down. You know, so 
There are many teachers out there we must watch and listen and we'll seek them out. They're there. Teachers about how to live. There's one more I'm going to talk about. It's a Chinese elder from China. And we were at this, I was at this conference called Crimes Against Humanity. And there were presenters there from all over the world, from South America because of the genocide, uh, the Holocaust, uh, sex slaves, and uh, Korea and different places, you know. And, and this Chinese elder was the last speaker. And by that time, I was sitting there, and I was disillusioned with humanity. I was thinking, I need to hear something, because I'm just losing faith in humanity. And this elder Chinese man was the one. He comes to the podium, and he's got two canes. And he has his translator with him. So he gives us his name and where he's from, his village. After his introduction, he points at his legs. And he says these words that transformed me. He said the evil Japanese anthraxed my village. So I have the rotten leg disease now. It will never get better. I was sitting there, and these words started to, I guess you could say, rattle around in my head. The evil Christians and the evil white men hurt me. I tell people that's when I stopped being a, like a teenager and generalized to beat the band. I started to want to be more accurate, more precise, and rather than generalizing, saying things like, oh, all those Canadians are bad, all those Christians are bad. That is very transformative. Very helped me on the freedom road. You know, and um, I think of those teachers, uh, the, my elder from Nova Scotia, he's gone now. <laughs> he's the one that really turned me on to even farther to know the true meaning of words. So I started to read the dictionary and I can I'd see words, and I'd say, whoa, that's what that means. And realized I was talking in context, but I didn't really know what the word means because um, I'm not from that culture. So I started to read the dictionary, too. You know, and I learned the meaning of words, and I started, like, even health, you know. 
I looked it up in the dictionary. It means being sound in mind, body, and spirit. Of course, you, you heard me talk about my spirit. Well, what makes a, what, what's the indicators of a good, strong spirit person? And you've heard me say that's a person that has an incredible will to live, to succeed, and is kind. So those teachers I'm talking about, and there are many more, are the ones that help me to be me. Because I'm walking around in life saying, who am I? One of my friends actually asked me that. Who are you, Jerry? And I'd say, oh, I'd say I'm, a, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a son, I'm an uncle, I'm a nephew, I'm a cousin. You know, I kept saying these things and he kept saying, who are you? You know, and he was frustrating me because he kept asking me. He finally stopped and I said, I'm me. So, I, I, I think about my life today and I do say to myself, I'm free today. Like, racism doesn't have the same effect it used to be when I'd encounter a racist, someone that obviously has issues with me and doesn't like me even though they don't know me. I don't let them control my life anymore. Because if they get me angry or depressed or afraid, they own me. And I don't want that to happen ever. So I learned to stand up to racism, to walk away from it and feel all right, to stay away from a racist. But also, there have been times that I have stood up to a racist. There's one time in the, I was in the bank and I had long braids, part of my identity, you know. Ever since I embraced my identity as indigenous, I grow my hair until someone I lose to the spirit world and I'll cut it and I'll start it over again. The whole idea of growing my hair for my loved ones so they'll have a long life. So when they leave human being life, I cut my hair. Then it'll grow back, it'll grow back. Anyway, on that particular day in the bank, I had long braids. And there's this white man in front of me. I'll use the word white. Euro descent. A <laughs> human being standing in front of me. He is upset and he's talking to the tiller, the, the man working the till, who is obviously a Muslim. And he's upset and he says, I want to see my balance. I want to see it on paper. No, I don't want no BS, he's saying. And He's angry. He's perturbed. And this, the director of the bank was, happened to be a Euro-descent woman. Here's the commotion and comes out and he sees her and says, Oh, I'm sorry, ma'am, I shouldn't be talking like that in your establishment. 
And she turns around and leaves, and uh, he turns around and he sees me. And he says, nice braids, you know, with this snarky tone. And he says, too bad you're not a woman. I took a step towards him and said, uh, you know why I grow my hair, sir? Looks at me and says, no. I said, I grow it so my, my family, my wife will have a long life. And if any of them pass away to the spirit world, I'll cut my hair and I'll start over for, for the, the ones that are here. He says, oh, I didn't know that, he says. He says, I just lost my wife last year, and you could see the sadness in his eyes. I could see the sadness. And he says, yes, you left me. And I said to him, sir, do you have grandchildren? And he says, yes, blessed with three beautiful grandchildren. I said, well, sir, that's your reason for living, those grandchildren. He sort of straightened up, looked at me, he said, yeah, by golly, you're right, he says, you know. <laughs> I tell people, you know, that um, there's um, many ways to respond to racism. But I've come to understand that racists simply don't understand. And they've been told lies about us indigenous people all their life. We're not stupid. I'm not stupid. I'm not lazy. I'm crazy. Oh, sometimes I get lazy, you know. I'm not drunk and I'm not stinking. So on this freedom road, my identity confusion has left. I am now Sahilthit. And I accept Jerry too. Or Patse or Sequitsi Kill or Kualam or Titna Sanip. And I have my values and principles that I live by that guide me in life. And it's me. I don't expect people to be the same as me because I know everyone's unique, everyone's different. Like part of my values and principles is how I talk to people. Like I will not swear at people, for instance. It's, it's my values, my principle. That's the way my teachers were, so I emulate them. And I hear them say, be careful and sincere with your words, Jerry, when you're talking to people. Because it's like a bullet leaving the end of a gun. How descriptive is that? How beautifully descriptive is that, that my words can hurt people? And that respect. Oh, I think about my grandmother's respect for people for the salmon I'd bring her, or any food. <laughs> it's like a big celebration, and I bring a salmon to her. So it's, uh, it's been a journey, I tell you. And I'm glad today to have some freedom.
when I think about what some of my relatives went through in a true colonial colonial life, like my grandfather going to jail for six months, being separated from his community and his wife and his family for saying no. When they came to, when the priest come to take my mother to residential school. When I talked to her about residential school, it must be 19, I don't even know the year, maybe late 80s. She told me that, and I'd never known that the grandfather had gone to jail. Now, that's a colonial life, you know, <laughs> truly. But, you know, I have never heard my mother, my late mother or father, complain about Canada, complain about racists. I guess that's where I got that statement, that term, don't whine and complain, do something. But when I started that, this Freedom Road, all of a sudden I started taking care of my body because my mind became free from those attachments of those harmful events and those negative words I heard about indigenous people, about myself. All of a sudden I'm free for that in my mind. Now I start to pay attention to my body. All of a sudden I have a dentist, I have a doctor, I have a massage therapist, I'm I'm paying more attention to my diet, you know, I'm exercising consistently, you know, I started running long distance, you've heard me, I started to, to take karate, I, you know, I started to take care of this body. Started to sit like an eagle, you know. <laughs> and, uh, because of that, I can walk today. I can move about. I've seen parts of the world. Beautiful. If I didn't take care of my body, I wouldn't be walking like I walk today. And because of that cleansing my mind, my spirit got stronger that desire to be successful at whatever I do. <laughs> That's lots of work. I'm still working on that. You know, I still, one of my things is hoarding. You know, I hang on to things. And I don't use them, but I hang on to them. I'm starting to get better bit by bit, day by day. But I want to be successful in that kindness to be kind to whoever I meet. That's how my teachers were. So I started to be compassionate, which means compassion is being a willing participant with other people's suffering. I do. There are some that I don't want to be, and I've come to accept that I'm not meant to work with that one. I must refer them on, let them know we're not connecting. 
for whatever reason. So that's been my healing road. I come to that place of let the healing begin. That's what our next season's going to be called. In September, we'll start putting out podcasts again, and it'll be called Let the Healing Begin. During the pandemic, you know, two years of lockdown, I, somewhere in that early second year, I asked myself that question. So, Hilthit, what's on your mind? Before that, I'd ask myself, where, are, where am I? What's on your mind? And it'd be residential school, colonization, racism, poverty, suicide, violence, you know, all the things we deal with from day to day as a people. And I was sitting out by my sweat lodge early in the morning, and I thought of that. What's on your mind? And I realized at that moment, there's nothing on my mind. And it was a good feeling I was free. Don't get me wrong, I still get perturbed by those events. But it's not like it's... It's only when it comes to me, someone says it or somebody, or I see something or I remember, but I don't carry it anymore. It's like a, like like water and a duck's back, it runs off now. That's a good, a good way to be. And part of that's from ceremony, from ritual, from teachers, like everything I told you. So I just want to thank you all for listening to Teachings in the Air this last season, all my wonderful guests, you know, and my crew. just want to thank you. And I look forward to working on Let the Healing Begin season. Thank you. <laughs>